0: Welcome to the Equipus Church Surrey podcast. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Well, good morning, church. It's uh, my great privilege to be with you today to continue with this wonderful theme, God's house, our house. You know, David wrote in the Psalms at one time in, in, in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. By the way, uh, let's just stop there for a moment, Perhaps. David asks many things of the Lord. In fact, if you look at his life, he prayed many times to God. So when David says one thing I've asked of the Lord, he's really talking about priority. In in other words, of all the things I've ever asked God, here's the one thing that stands above everything. So it's like he's prioritizing his prayer. It's like there's all kinds of prayers he has. For instance, the prayer of inquiry when Saul was chasing him. Uh, Lord, should I run? Should I stay? What should I do? These prayers of inquiry when the Amalekites overtook Ziklag and burned it with fire, shall I pursue them? And God says, yes, pursue. You will overtake them. So there were all these times in David's life where he's requesting things from God. But this psalm is focusing on the deepest desire and longing of his heart, the one thing, if you like, that was the most essential thing. And so, so when we talk about one thing in the kingdom, we're talking about the highest priority. And, and here's how he put it. One thing I've asked of the Lord, that I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Now, if you know anything about biblical history, you know that David had an amazing palace. Jerusalem was called the city of David. He had an incredible place where he lived. But the desire of his heart, the longing of his heart, the thing that was his essential priority was that he would be somebody who would dwell in God's presence. That's really what it meant to dwell in the house of the Lord. It was literally in the Old Testament, a physical temple he would go to. He had his own home, but his heart was, I want to be in God's presence. I want to be with God's people. I want to be where God lives and where he dwells. Now, if we take this right the way through to the New Testament, we have an amazing shift that takes place. There is continuity and discontinuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And here's the the continuity, is that God still wants to meet with people. God still wants to save people. God still wants to heal people. God still wants to be involved in the lives of, of you and I. The discontinuity is this. God's no longer living in a tent or living in a temple God's not in a specific geographical place that you can go to and say yeah that's where God lives now under the new covenant the Holy Spirit is poured out on all flesh all flesh that's the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy in Joel chapter 2 and so what we get now in the New Testament is that God lives in us And so Paul says to the Corinthian church, don't you know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? And so when we talk about God's house, our house, we're actually talking about a community of people where God dwells by his spirit in each of us, but in us together as a community. And that's very exciting for me. Because that means that wherever two or three are gathered together, Matthew chapter 18, to quote Jesus, that's where Jesus is right in the midst. He's there living in us, but his manifest presence comes when we gather together. And let me encourage you, come on, this is a new season for us as a church. This is a new season for us to no longer live with the limitations and restrictions that we've had over the past 18 months. Come on, let's be intentional about gathering as the people of God. David had that longing. I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He wrote it again in Psalm 23. And that should be our desire, our goal. So when we, when we talk in, in the New Testament terms, we're talking about God living in us, we're talking about God dwelling in us, we're talking about being the house of God together. And Paul uses a very powerful metaphor. Now, if you happen to hear Steve Graham speak a number of weeks ago, when he talked about God's house, our house, he used seven different metaphors, I think, where he was trying to explain the richness and diversity of understanding God's house I want to focus on one of those in particular that he spoke a little bit about and I want to unpack it for you this morning so that we have a better understanding of what it means to be part of God's house and how God's house is our house there's a there's a an identification there there's a connection there that we need to see together so I'm going to read you some extensive verses now from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So just follow along. I'm, I'm doing this from the ESV version of the Bible. But here's how Paul begins. I'm, I'm going to pick it up from verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. if the whole body were an eye where would the sense of hearing if the whole body were an ear where would be the sense of smell but as it is God arranged the members of the body each one of them as he chose if all were a single member where would the body be as it is there are many parts yet one body But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, we all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. You're the body of Christ and individually members on it. You know, when we talk about a body, I have it on good authority from one of my friends who's a science teacher. And he says, a living organ, organism has to do seven things in order for it to be considered living. Here are the seven things that have to happen. First of all, there has to be movement. I love that because the whole idea of a body is that it allows you to move. It gives you locomotion, if it was just a head, how would a head move? If we're in a paralyzed body, we cannot move. There's so much limitation but the body is designed for movement the church is designed for movement the church is designed for advancement we have a mission we're to go into all the world we're to take the gospel to all nations we're to make disciples of all nations and we're to put people into that body that we are part of in other words it's a growing body it's an expanding body it's an enlarging body and If there's movement, you've got a living organism. If there's no movement, then that organism is not considered to be alive. There has to be movement. And by the way, you've got some creatures that are really fast at moving, like a cheetah, and you've got some that are really slow at moving, like a tortoise. It isn't about speed. It's simply about movement. Here's the second thing that we need if we're going to be a living organism. There has to be respiration, releasing energy from the metabolism, respiration. I love this because when we breathe in and out, it's the same word in the Hebrew and the Greek to describe the spirit of God. In other words, the spirit in the Hebrew is the Ruach HaChodesh, the Holy Spirit. And Ruach, spirit, is also translated as wind and breath. So when God breathed into Adam, that was his spirit breathing. And and it's an amazing thing. The spirit is what imparts life, is the one who imparts life to us. And so when there's respiration, what we're really doing is we're potentially releasing spirit. When we speak, we cannot speak without releasing breath. Think about it like this. When we speak, we're meant to release spirit as well as breath. In other words, we're not meant to be full of hot air. We're meant to be filled with words that bring spirit and life. This is what Jesus said in John chapter six. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. They are breath and life. This is Jesus. So we need respiration. Number three, we need sensing or an awareness and response to simili. You know, sensing is something in the spirit that we pick up on it's it's an intuitive sense and each one of us in 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 our natural bodies we have five senses but as Christians as those part of the body of Christ we have a spiritual sense we pick up on atmospheres we know when something when we walk into a room and it's tense and we know when we walk into a room and it's relaxed and joyful We know when people are happy. We know when people are sad. We sense, we pick up on things. This is what it means to be alive, to be an organism. Number four, there has to be growth. There has to be um, something that goes from something small to something larger, just like a tree. It begins as a seed, but it ends up being a fruitful tree. If it's organic, there's going to be growth. And this is true for the church. It's what frustrates me sometimes when I see people uh, in leadership in particular who are very dogmatic about how leadership should, should happen and how leadership should function. And then I ask them, well, how's it working for you in your church? What's it been like? What's the growth been like over the last 10 years? And they say, well, we haven't grown for 10 years. And I think to myself, this is insanity. Why on earth are you committed to a philosophy of leadership and how leadership should function when it's not bringing about growth. The body of Christ is going to grow. Jesus said, I will build my church. Uh, he, he understood it as growing. Paul in Ephesians chapter 4 says, as every joint supplies causes growth of the body for the increase of itself in love, in Ephesians 4.16. We should expect growth. We should expect enlargement. We should expect people wanting to come to Jesus and respond to the gospel. And if is not happening we have to look at what are our belief systems what about what are our practices what are the things that are hindering that just a little promo here in a very short while my book church leadership the stuff you usually learn the hard way that's what it's called addresses some of these issues. I talk in there about the 10 plagues of church meetings, things that I see going on in meetings that we need to stop doing in order for the church to truly grow. But let's get back. Number five, reproduction. Something is not just meant to grow in the sense of a child growing up, but we grow in the sense of we add more to the family. So that there's a qualitative growth And there's a quantitative growth. The qualitative growth is all about us having the character of Jesus. It's becoming more and more like him. The quantitative growth is that we get more people in the kingdom. We look to see what was happening in the book of Acts. The Lord added daily to the church those who were being saved. We've got to look for that kind of reproduction. Number six, excretion, the removal of waste. How many of you know that every single one of us in our lives has got baggage? When we came into the kingdom, we had baggage. And as we go on in the kingdom, and the Spirit of God begins to sanctify us and work in our lives and conform us to be more like Jesus, the baggage gets identified by the Spirit. And we have to deal with it. We have to get rid of the rubbish. We have to get rid of the waste. And if you don't do that, it brings a great deal of ill health. You're not able to function optimally. You're not able to function well. You're not able to function at your best. Sometimes there is rubbish in your life that the Holy Spirit is going to say, Come on now, you've lived with this long enough. I'm convicting you of this issue, and we have to repent. We have to find forgiveness. to push it to one side and we have to say this is no longer going to be part of the baggage I carry for the rest of my life I want to encourage you now I've been doing this for 40 years even now as a Christian God convicts me sometimes of an attitude or he convicts me of an action he says Peter that's not right I don't want you to do that I want you to change your thinking I want you to live differently uh, uh, about that issue and it's like getting rid of the waste. And then finally, number seven, for an organism to be, uh, to be uh, considered a living organism, there has to be nutrition. In other words, it has to be fed. It has to be able to absorb nutrients. And one of the chief things that Jesus said to the Apostle Peter in John chapter 21 is, Feed my sheep. God wants to nurture us. And where are we nurtured most? Well, we're nurtured through relationships. Discipleship happens in the context of relationships. Let me say a couple of things about this. So often when I read discipleship manuals, there's an emphasis on one-to-one discipleship, on how we have to find the one other that we disciple. Now, I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's bad. I'm simply going to say it's incomplete. You know what I discovered as a father raising children, six children, is that sometimes a sibling can speak to another sibling in a way that a parent can't. Sometimes the best parenting that went on in our household was through the siblings talking to one another and challenging one another. That's what it's meant to be like in the body of Christ. It isn't always the pastor who has to do the rebuking or the correcting. Sometimes we're correcting one another because we're family, we're in it together. And discipleship takes place not just in the context of one-on-one relationships, it takes place in the context of community, there's it, you know, there's an old saying, it says it takes a community to raise a child. I think that's true in the kingdom. It takes a community to disciple people. And you can't just wash your hands and say, well, that guy's discipling him. No, if you're on the scene and something happens and you need to make an intervention, come on, get involved. It's part of what it means to nurture and to, uh, to be uh, well-fed, this is what Jesus is looking for in the church. So in this picture of the body of Christ, we've got these seven activities that we should be looking for and expecting to take place within the church. But let me just go back and focus on 1 Corinthians 12 and just draw out three things for you just as we finish off this message and come to a close. Here's the first thing. Paul emphasizes that we have unity with diversity well let me say it the opposite way we have diversity within unity so on the one hand there is unity on the other hand there is diversity there is unity because it's the holy spirit who lives inside every single one of us and there is diversity because there are many of us within whom the holy spirit lives so we're all made to drink, Paul says, of that one spirit. So in other words, the spirit of God who lives in you is no different to the spirit of God who lives in me. The source and the well that I drink from is the same source and well that you are drinking from. The body is not one member, but many members united by one spirit. This is why Psalm 133 says behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Why is it good and pleasant? Because they're living out in their life the reality of what they are in the spirit. God has made us one, no more Jew and Gentile, no more national distinctions. We cannot we cannot be proud of our national heritage as a tool to look down on someone else's national heritage. We cannot do that any longer in the kingdom because now we're citizens of heaven. Now we have to recognize we've been put together and it's a wonderful unity. Here's the second thing I want to say. God chooses our place in the body. I didn't choose my place in the body. I didn't choose the gifting that is on my life. He chose it in his wisdom. Jeremiah didn't choose to be a prophet. God says, Before you were born, I knew you and I called you and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. His calling predated his education and his understanding. God knew in his wisdom the calling that was on the Apostle Paul's life. He resisted it for years, he was kicking against the pricks. And then Jesus met him on the road to Damascus one day and And even Ananias, a wonderful disciple who served Jesus in Damascus, spoke to the Lord one day when he was told to go and lay hands on Saul. And He says, Jesus, I don't want to do this. I've heard about this man. I've heard how he's persecuted your people. And Jesus' response was this. He's a chosen vessel. I've got my hand on his life. I know what I'm doing. I've chosen him. I've appointed him. I want to say to you that your life is no less valuable, no less important. God has chosen you and God has appointed you and God has placed you in the body of Christ in a very unique way with a unique calling and with unique abilities. And so the best place to discover who you are is in God's house. The best place to discover where can your gift best be served is in the house of God. You see, my hand knows it's a hand, not just because my head is telling it, but because it's on the end of my wrist and not on the end of my ankle. If it was on the end of my ankle, it would be a foot. In other words, it's in the nature of the relationships of the body members that we begin to discover who we are. That's why you can't do church on your own. That's why you can't do Christianity on your own. That's why there is no such thing as meaningful meaningful Christianity outside a community of people that we usually call church. Now, I don't care if you call it a congregation. I don't care what language you use an assembly. It doesn't matter. What matters is, is there a group of people that you are regularly, intentionally connecting with because that Body of people is an expression of the living Christ who's in heaven today. God chooses where you are and what your gifting is. In John 15, when Jesus said to his disciples, you've not chosen me, but I've chosen you. He's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about who's saved and who is lost. He's saying, I'm the one who chose you to be apostles. I prayed all night and I chose you. You didn't choose it. You didn't say, I want to be an apostle or I want to be a pastor. And I want to say to you, come on, there's a frustration in many people's lives because they're trying to be something God hasn't called them to be. It's like all those people on X Factor who think they're the greatest singer and they're going to have the next greatest record deal and they're going to be the next greatest sensation. It's like thousands and thousands of people are believing in that particular dream But for many of them, it is far from reality. It's a pipe dream, it's a fantasy. It's because their mum told them they were wonderful at singing when actually they weren't that great really. Come on, we need reality. We need to understand God chooses our place in the body and we all have a unique place. You know what this means? It means that the hand cannot say to the eye, I don't need you or the I can't say because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. Paul is dealing with two particular problems within the church at Corinth. One was the problem of pride, I don't need you. One was the problem of inferiority, because I'm not this, I'm not part of. And those two things grab Christians from time to time, feeling proud and looking down on others, or feeling inferior, And it all comes from the same thing, comparing. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and says, those who compare themselves among themselves are not wise. It's not wise to compare yourself to someone else because you are unique in the body of Christ. God has placed you there. Stop comparing and start accepting the fact that God chose where you should be. Now, there may be a period of discovery. There may be a journey that you need to go on where you fully appreciate who God has called you to be David had to do this he was called to be a king but God had to prepare him for 15 years before he could begin to reign and even then he only reigned over two tribes it was another seven years before the other tribes accepted his kingship he had he proved himself to the nation despite the fact there was a call on his life Now, I want to say to you, you don't need to go around announcing what your gift is to other church members. Prove your gift by serving in it and let everybody see what your gift is, not because you're trying to persuade us who you are, but but because everybody sees who you are. That's the way to do it. Here's my third and final point. Paul ends up like this. The result of this level of unity is that the members have the same care for one another. I love this. When one suffers, we all feel it. When one is honored, we all rejoice. You see, when you're secure in God's house and you're in God's house, you don't have to become jealous when somebody else is honored or somebody else is praised or somebody else does really, really well you rejoice in their success. Because God has a success for you, it may not be your time, it may not be your moment, but you can enter into the joy of someone else's success and rejoice with them. Equally, when somebody is suffering, and we've seen a lot of that over the last 18 months, different people have become really, really sick, sometimes we've lost loved ones. When people are suffering in that kind of way, listen, we all suffer, we all feel it, why? because we're all joined by the one Spirit. We're all connected. And so I want to encourage us as the people of God, come on, let's not be afraid to weep with those who weep. Equally, let's not be afraid to rejoice with those who rejoice. We don't have to live in comparison and jealousy. We don't have to live with a heart that is always wanting something someone else has. Come on, we don't have to live that way as the people of God. We can dwell in God's house, we can have the same desire as David. And you know what, when we make that our priority, God is more concerned that you know who he's made you to be than you are. He's more passionate about you learning and walking in your destiny than you are. You can trust him. And as you connect with the body of Christ, I promise you, over time what will happen is you will find your fit. And as you find your fit, you'll find your flow and you'll begin to be doing things that bring joy and harmony and growth and advancement and movement to the kingdom of God. And that's how the church grows. That's how the church impacts the communities it's part of. That's how the church moves forward and brings glory to Jesus. Would you bow your heads? We're going to pray together. Father, thank you for this wonderful company of people who are here because they want God's house to be their house. They want the reality of what you've created to be their experience day to day. And I pray for every single person here this morning that they're gonna feel that sense of drawing to be connected to your house. Like David, it's gonna be the deepest desire of their heart. I pray for fulfillment, Father, of ministries. I pray for revelation of ministries. I pray for discovery of ministries. And I pray that you would cause your church to grow as every joint supplies, as we connect in with others and serve together. Let your hand of goodness be on us today, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. If you'd like to connect with the Krippers Church, then please visit equippers.co.uk and say hello. And if you enjoyed today's message, you can subscribe and share it with a friend.